Welcome to the Happy Mindset. Today's episode is episode number 86 and today's episode title is called Nine Years in Bangkok. So today I'm joined by Sharon Bazant. Sharon is the author of Nine Years in Bangkok, Lessons Learned. On today's episode she talks about the journey she went on to create the book, how the book came about. She talks about some of the experiences that formed the book. So Sharon was a teacher. She trained to be a Thai masseuse when she was in Thailand and she's generally just taken leaps in her life like moving to Pakistan when everybody else thought that her family were crazy for doing that. And then she moved to Thailand, spent nine years there. And she took an interest in Buddhism. She spent 10 days in a, in a meditation, silent meditation retreat. So we touched on all these things today. It was great to hear how Sharon has navigated all this stuff and how she's combined all her interests as well and followed her curiosities about life above anything else. So yeah, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Get some inspiration from this. If you liked the episode, check out her book as well on Amazon.com. I'll put a link in the in the show notes to her website so you can check it out there too. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed today's episode and thanks again for listening. Okay, so thanks for joining us today, Sharon. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So my first question is, who are you and what are you doing in the world today? My name is Sharon Bazant. I'm Currently, I'm retired on the coast of British Columbia in Canada. I've done quite a few things in my life, but in my retirement, I'm writing books. That's good. So you're, are you going to do more books? Is that your, is that your new career? Yes. My, yes, it's turned out to be my new career. When I, penned, when I started penning this one, I didn't really think about that. But it's turned out that I do have a new career writing. Um, I never expected to have a new career in my 70s, but that's what I'm doing. And yes, I'm going to write another book. Um, I'm starting it very soon. Mm. Do you have an idea of like what that will be about? Yes. Uh, before we went to Thailand for nine years, which is what my current book is about, we spent five years in Pakistan. And um, whereas Thailand was my soul's journey, in Pakistan was much more environmentally adventurous it was dangerous and um and you know challenging in many ways also very starkly beautiful so it's going to be a different kind of adventure my next book can you talk a little bit about your first book when did you start writing that i started writing it in about 2005 when we first came back to canada from thailand and uh, I originally wrote it as a cathartic experience um, because some of the things that had happened to me in Thailand had felt quite upsetting. And I just wrote. And I probably got about a third of a book written. And then life intervened and I just set it aside and it sat dormant for between 10 and 12 years. And um, just recently, in the end of 2017, I was invited to join a writing group. And uh, when I joined the writing group, uh, the lady who ran it looked at my what I had done and she's an editor and a writing coach and she offered to help me uh, rearrange it into a book that um, I could publish. Mm. So to put some structure onto it and coherence, is it? Yes, yes, and also uh, she helped me all the way through of like coaching and editing. I pretty much, I feel that pretty much everyone 
no matter, I mean, I was an English teacher, but I really needed the editing and the coaching. <laughs> mm -hmm. And nevertheless, um, anyway, that took about another year. And then I published my book. What was the process like when you were like more in that cathartic phase of writing stuff? What did that look like? Um, it looked like I just was getting my soul out on the paper, basically. Uh, it was largely about the things that had happened to me when I was teaching at the international school there. And uh, I just wanted to really pour out my feelings about that. Writing helps. All my life writing has helped me personally that way. And um, I don't, it didn't have, it, although very interesting, it, it didn't have a structure probably that would appeal to readers. So that's why it needed to be put into structure because my book in the end now really discusses many different things, family, health, workplace, spiritual transformation, um, all kinds of, of things in there. And I had to find a way of structuring that and also lots of travel. Uh, so I, I had to find a way of structuring that so it would come out coherently, not just my cathartic ideas. <laughs> Musings, yeah. How about the travel? Were you always somebody who traveled? Like, when did you take the leap and go to Pakistan? Oh, uh, that, um, I, I discussed that briefly at the beginning of the book because we were in Pakistan before Thailand. Um, and basically, we... Uh, we had traveled a little bit, you know, families on vacation. I think the biggest vacation we probably had taken, well, we, once we went to Hawaii and once we went to Mexico. If you live in Canada, those are not great, great far places to go. I mean, they're great places to go, but they're not far. <laughs> um, but um, when we decided to move overseas, I think I'd wanted, I'm very adventurous, and I had wanted to do this for a long time. And my husband came home with this um, paper from work that his boss had expected him to distribute amongst his staff. And he said to me, what if I apply for this job? What would you think about us going to Pakistan? Our children were young teenagers. And I was like, yes, that would be absolutely great. And I, everybody thought we were out of our minds. We sold everything. We had a comfortable suburban life. We sold everything and um, moved to Pakistan. And um, our children weren't over, overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly happy <laughs> with that at first, as you can imagine. But they now say it's the best thing that ever happened to them. So, so from Pakistan, I think once we got there, um, it's not an easy culture to live in all the time. Um, so, and I can expand on that later if you like, but basically you have to leave probably once every six months and just travel a bit. It's a really cheap and easy place to travel from that it was then. And we started doing lots of travel and ever since we've been traveling. What are some key lessons that you've learned from your travels and living in different cultures? One of the key lessons I've learned about the travel and cultures is that you can't really, you can visit places and you have photos, right? But if you stay, get involved with the culture, really try to look deeply into what people are doing, go to places where tourists don't go, talk to the local people, um, 
really you find out a great deal about other humans and you begin to understand why people live like they do, why they believe as they do, even if it's very opposite to what you think and how you've lived, you begin to appreciate other cultures and how they live. But you have to do more than just go there and take a few pictures and leave and say, I've been there. Yeah. I liked um, how you described Thailand. It seemed to be very kind of layered and there's a lot of, a lot of different things going on. What were you most confronted by that you understood eventually by the time you'd finished living in Thailand? Well, <laughs> there were things I, confront, I was confronted by that I never understood. Um, one of them was why they couldn't do more about the pollution. Pollution is a terrible problem in Bangkok, air pollution, and I think it's worse now than it probably ever was. Um, that was one of the first things that struck me. And, um, and there's key things that need to be done about that that haven't been done. Um, however, ties, I guess that's one of the, that leads into one of the things I started to understand better. And that is that um, Thai people are very laid back in a sense that they don't, they're very Buddhist. They, they're peaceful, they don't want to create a problem, and they don't harshly enforce rules and laws. So they have lots of rules and laws, but there's many of them that are not particularly enforced. And, you know, uh, sometimes I used to get really frustrated and I'd ask uh, our maid, the lady that worked for us, why didn't somebody do something about that? You know, and she said, well, we don't want to make a problem. So we have these discussions about, does it make more of a problem by not doing something about it or, you know, but I did, I did start to fundamentally understand their, their practice, much greater practice of letting go and feeling peaceful with things as they are. There's far less of that in Western countries than there is in the East, especially where they practice Buddhism. When did you start taking an interest in, in Buddhism? When did I start taking an interest? When, when we lived in, in Thailand, I, um, it was gradual, I think. Um, I stopped working at the school after a number of years. Um, and then I decided I wanted to do something different. And ultimately, I ended up taking up Thai massage, which is in many ways very different from my teaching life, which had been quite intellectual. This was very physical. But also I started to realize that it was spiritual. The energy of working with the body, the links, everything in, in Thailand is really linked to Buddhism. Um, their body work, their, you know, the all many, many different things, their medical ideas. Um, and I began to realize the spirit, spirituality through that. And in taking time massage courses with the masters, and we would start out by doing yoga and um, blessing the masters of time massage and, and understanding of healing the body in a spiritual, energetic kind of way. Hmm. Do you find that challenging as like somebody who is more intellectual to begin with, with the time massage and uh, energy work and the spiritual work? Well, the energy work and the spiritual work I didn't find challenging. I really, I really, I think that's always been 
part of me in some kind of way. Um, so I was very taken with that and started to study it more deeply. What challenged me was the physical part of it. By this time, I was in my early to mid fifties and I'm taking Thai massage courses and I don't know how much you know about Thai massage, but it's very physical. Um, it's, it, it's like yoga. It's like uh, mutual yoga, really. And you do, it's on a mat on the floor and you do uh, pressure points, but you also do a lot of stretching and pulling of the client. Um, and it's not short. Thai massages are long. I mean, you can make them short, but they really shouldn't be because they're for a, a full kind of healing of the body, mind, and spirit. Um, so the physical part and learning Thai massage, that was very challenging because most Thai massage masters study their whole lives. Um, were you always comfortable with that beginner mind? Like starting afresh in a different field and learning from somebody who's a master? I think, I think I kind of like that. Yes. I, I've done uh, quite a few things in my life and I guess, I guess I like to change it up. I, I kind of have always said I'm a five year person. Um, so I do something and then sort of after five or six years, I start thinking, Hmm, can I do something different now? I, I don't know why I, I really have always been like that. So in many ways I, I have, um, I've always been like that, but, but particularly in Thailand, because it was a huge change from teaching into, you know, the, the other work that I went into. Hmm. How about the, uh, when you move to different like skill sets, pretty much too, like massage, you're doing massage, you're doing teaching, writing. Did you see any like commonalities that just help you to learn something better the next time? I suppose one of those things is you get better as you get older. Uh, I, I will talk about the commonalities in a second, but just to, we just celebrated my son's 45th birthday. And of course, 45 is like, I teased him, he's on the cusp of now approaching his 50s, right? And he's like, oh no. And I, I said, you know, in my experience, these are the most productive years of your life you get, he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, you just know more and you're better and you have more skills and you've lived more life and you don't have as much trouble with decision-making, you know where you want to go. You've just got a tremendous amount of wisdom and knowledge compared to what you did when you were in your 20s or 30s. Um, and I really believe that. So I think that helps. I think everything leads you to the next thing in that sense. Um, I've always had a lot of people skills. I did public speaking when I was a teenager. Um, I, I did debating at university. I was a teacher for many years. Teachers have to be, have many skills uh, in order to, you know, take over a classroom and do all the things they do. They say teachers are the most organized people in the world because they have to be. Um, so I think all of one thing leads to another in that sense. Yes. That you, you develop the skills you already have, and then you add some new ones in, but 
you you're honing you've honed the other skills so adding the new ones in just creates a little bit more of a learning curve and then you go on from there hmm. have you ever like felt stuck or stagnant in your life and how have you moved through that mm. oh, that's an interesting question yes i suppose when i was a young mother it's difficult being a young mother my my children were 20 months apart i didn't have i was in the age group where well first of all we lived far quite far from our parents but parents didn't think a lot about helping you so i felt i'd always you know been working and my husband was out uh, you know new frontiers with his work and I loved the children and I loved taking care of them. But I think I really felt like, where do I go from here? And I think a lot of young mothers feel like that. I feel like, you know, will I ever be able to get out there and do things again? Um, and of course you are. <laughs> but, but it's kind of a lonely feeling where you do feel stuck in a way. And, and I know lots of young mothers feel that way and don't really like to admit it because, you know, I suppose they think it means they don't like being a mom, but that's not it at all. I suppose that's when I felt it the most. Otherwise, I'm pretty good at just, I don't know, of just saying, okay, it's five or six years now, let's look at the next thing and see what might be on the table there. Yeah, that, that was the next thing I was going to ask you about. Like, you seem to be able to do things that other people would think are crazy, or even even when you said Thai massage too. I think in the book you mentioned how you were an older older lady, and it was more the beautiful looking younger Thai ladies that were encouraged to do it. Like, did you ever let self consciousness ever stop you from doing something? And how do you move through that? Because a lot of people get stuck in that. Uh, yeah, I'm certainly not a master of self-confidence, that's for sure. I've, I've certainly had my self-confidence has taken hits in my life. There were times, especially when I talk about in the book, my times at the school, when I should have stood up for myself a lot better in hindsight. Um, but um, I, I don't know. I, I just really am able, I don't. I don't know. I, I'm just really able to go from one thing to another. I don't, I've never felt like, hmm. When I started Thai massage, it was, it was really challenging for me. And there were times when I almost quit um, because it's hard. It's really hard. Um, it's hard work and you have to memorize all the movements, but you have to incorporate them. They're part of you. And that takes a long time. And people that were younger than me were able to do it faster because their bodies were in better shape. But for some reason, I, I guess part of it is I did take, I did think, oh, maybe I can't do this. But the other part of me is kind of a never quitter. I think that's that's the real thing is that once I do something I just I just think okay this is I'm going to do this and I'm going to I'm going to see it through and uh, the only thing I think I never saw through was uh, years ago um, between years of university I was working in the summer and I was working at a dress shop 
And uh, the owner of the dress store, we were supposed to look like we were busy, even if there was no one in the store and absolutely nothing to do. And so I was 19 years old. So, of course, I didn't see what I could possibly do. I'd folded everything four times and I was, you know, didn't see what I could do. And she came along and just yelled at me uh, for not doing things and looked bad to the customers. There were no customers in sight. So I just said, I just went home and phoned them and said, I, I thought it over and said, okay, that's it. I'm done. I think that's the only time in my life that I've ever walked away and said, I'm I don't want it. I didn't want to put up with that the rest of the summer. So I think that's the only time in my life I've ever walked away from something. Usually I really, well, of course, I walked away from my job at the school, but that was after, you know, almost five years of being there. And, uh, and that was a different situation. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Like, I find in myself, I've got that kind of part to myself too that pushes on and it's like, um, I don't know, sometimes I, I have the same feelings. It's like, I'm not good at this. I'm going to give up and stuff. But I just know perseverance in the long term and learning, you'll get there. But I also sometimes struggle with the when to walk away then because I'm used to that perseverance. And it's kind of like something that I feel a bit like I don't want to give up because I don't, that's not, my, that's not who I am. But then there are times where you do need to walk away. So what have you learned about that? Well, one of the lessons I learned, and I put it in the book, is know when to walk away. <laughs> in fact, it's one of the reasons that I like the song The Gambler. Um, I would have loved to put some lyrics from The Gambler in my book, but you can't use song lyrics in a book, mm. unfortunately, uh, unless you want to pay a lot of money for that. Um, but I love the lyrics to The Gambler because it really explains a lot. And yes, I'm a very persevering soul, but there comes a time when you have to know and use your gut to know that it's time to walk away. And I, I had, the thing that happened in the school was somebody came along and wanted my job and she made life living hell for me uh, and got, you know, manipulated through the administration and staff and all sorts of things. And I was extremely busy anyway. And, uh, and it just, it was just too much. It, I knew that it would never end. Um, as long as I stayed there. And I, I really had to do some soul searching because I loved my students beyond anything. And I really wanted to be there for them. But I, I understood that I would have a complete burnout, maybe breakdown if I stayed. And I understood that and walked away. Um, and maybe, in fact, there were people who told me to walk away earlier and maybe I should have walked away earlier, except I'm glad I stayed for the students. So, yeah, you've got to know. I think listening to the song The Gambler would help anybody. Yeah, if you pay attention. <laughs> How about, uh, do you have any questions that have helped you the most in your soul searching? Any questions that kind of stand out to you? Um, what do you mean by that? Just as in something that's helped to shift your perspective around something, a question that's kind of guided you to look at something in a different way that helped you to move forward in your life. Uh, yes, I think um, when I was in the, I did a 10 day silent meditation retreat um, towards the end of my time in Thailand, probably the most life changing thing I think I've ever done. Um, you have no choice but to go inside and, and it, it's probably worth 20 years of therapy it was 
it was a really life-changing experience. And um, one of the things, one of the themes of that, of that meditation retreat was compassion. And one of the things that came up was that they, of course, were able to uh, give talks to us, but we didn't speak. We were just, they gave talks to us at night, but there was no speaking or eye contact or anything. But one of the things that came up was compassion and that you can't have compassion for others until you have compassion for yourself. And I think that's something that really, I really had to think about profoundly. I, I meditated on that because I think most of my life, I didn't have compassion for myself. Um, you feel guilty, you're really hard on yourself for mistakes that you make and so on. And you have to forgive yourself and love yourself before you can actually be compassionate with others. And I'm, I think that's, that's something that many people are challenged with because I think many of us don't have compassion for ourselves. Mm. Yeah, that's good. The 10 day retreat did that. Did, how long did that actually feel like? Cause when I meditate for like 20 minutes or something, it feels like an hour nearly. So how long did that actually feel like when you're in there for 10 days? Well, they tell you when you sign up for it, the guy interviewed everyone. There were about 36 people, I guess. And uh, it was run by uh, an Australian American couple. Uh, um, they had been running these retreats at the, um, at the Buddhist temple for many years. Um, and um, he, said, he, he said, this is going to be the hardest thing you've ever done. He said that to everyone. And there's some people he didn't take because he didn't think they could manage it. In the end, pretty much everyone, I think there was one or two people left, but pretty much everyone stayed the course. It's, um, they tell you, you can't have anything. You can't have anything to write on, anything to read, anything, any, any distractions whatsoever. It's you, that's it. And you sleep on a mat on the floor and you don't look at anybody and you don't talk to anybody. And when you meditate, you do sitting, standing, um, walking. And we didn't do, we did some lying meditation, but mostly sitting, standing and walking. And in between, of course, we had meals and we did work, work and stuff. And during those times you meditate too. So basically you're meditating all the time in one way or another. Uh, you get used to it, but there's always a day when you want to leave. And I put that in the book. My day was day six. For some reason, I just got really, really edgy. And the whole day, all I could think about was plans to leave and how I would escape. And I, the whole day, everything I was doing, all I was thinking about was running away. And I just let that happen to me. And then after that day, I didn't want to leave ever <laughs> um, so you did you stop resisting that that experience with it yes yes i think um the real the probably the real answer to your question is exactly what you just said you have to not to learn not to resist when you meditate many of us aren't even aware of resisting but you know, we resist the thoughts that comes into our, our come into our heads. We um, 
we think about all of our desires and longings and all the things we want to do and the aversions we have to people and this is all a type of resistance but if you just let all that wash through you and just let go and learn not to resist it's amazing what you can do mm. it sounds so simple yeah it's, good. it's not simple it's not I, simple I no but if you're in a 10-day silent meditation retreat you're mm. literally forced to do that it's either do that or leave that's it it's yeah it's sink or swim i was going to ask as well was there clocks inside or could you actually see the time no you just knew by night and day dark and night, well, dark and light well, they, they're leader there are leaders like um, okay. there are meditation leaders and teachers and so on so they do they do everything like they keep track of time they ring bells and tell you now it's time to do this now it's time to do that and so on they can they can speak a little bit right uh and they and they spoke with lectures at night and stuff a lot of it's done by bells and then you get to know the routine so mm. the participants don't speak at all but the people who are running the thing um take responsibility for all the schedule and how it goes mm, sounds interesting do you have any advice for somebody who is maybe in their 60s 70s and they're thinking about publishing a book but they've got that fear around actually putting it out there or they just don't know what to do mm. well first of all i'd say it's probably important for them to get at least a writing coach somebody that can really spur them on you know look at the stuff as they write it and say oh this is really good and what about if you do this or that and you don't have to take you don't have to take an editor's advice you don't have to take a writing coach's advice but it feels like a partnership and you know of support i think that that's really helpful um and um and she you know she helped me through things like that. Also, you know, if you belong to a writing group, they're fantastic. Um, the people that I was in the writing group with were very um, supportive of me. Um, that helps a lot. Um, when probably my two most difficult times were when I had the beta readers who I don't, I don't know. I think it was the first time they'd ever been beta readers. And these are people that read and try to give you ideas of how you can improve your writing when your, your, your book is in draft form, right? Mm -hmm. But they were very, very critical uh, a lot. And I had trouble with that. Um, some of their criticisms had no value. They were just criticisms. But I had to learn how to pick that out from what was really helpful to me. And... I, after I worked through that, and I did get through that, and it's helped me to get a much thicker skin after I got my book out uh, about, you know, if people said anything negative. Uh, the fact is almost, you know, 98% of the feedback has been positive, so that's good. Mm -hmm. um, but the other really challenging time was submissions. When I submitted to publishers, I put in about 30 submissions to publishers and agents and it is massive rejection like it's just one rejection after another or they completely ignore you and this is very common very famous writers have faced the same thing they keep telling you that but man it's not easy to live with that constant rejection 
um, and um, and but you you know you have to persevere. That was the that's one of the hardest parts is facing that kind of rejection. But eventually, you get through that and you get to the other side of it. Yeah, eventually, yeah, you got there. So congratulations. <laughs> Where would, um, where would people find you online if they want to find your book and find out more about you? Well, uh, I'm currently having a website made right at this very moment. I have It's the Byzantblog.com at the moment. It's being made into a website. So if you, if you hit the Byzantblog.com, you will get to that. Um, I have a Facebook authors page as well, Sharon Byzant Author. Um, and as far as my book is concerned, it's available at my publisher, bookblocker.com online and all, uh, major online re retailers, uh, including Amazon, uh, which is in, I think Amazon is just about in every country in the world, practically. Um, <laughs> so, and, uh, and locally I have, my book is going to be available, uh, in bookstores locally, but, but throughout the world it's available online in both paperback and ebook oh, good to hear yeah step by step even that step by step process too getting the book out i found as well it's good yes that can be challenging I mean getting it out to bookstores and all of that yeah even mm -hmm. local bookstores and stuff as well like another step uh, yeah yes i bookstores um don't move quickly but that's okay i'm persevering yeah that's the main thing Cool. Thanks, Sharon. Thanks uh, for sharing your story and talking about your book and the different lessons you've learned over the years and on your travels. And yeah, it's great to hear it. Yes, thank you very much. I uh, I really enjoyed I really enjoy talking about it. I think you can probably see that. Yeah. Thanks for having me. <laughs> My pleasure. So until next time, have fun and enjoy the process. Thank you.